From the MGMA in-home studios, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams. It was like, can, can we get paid for giving a flu shot in the parking lot? I mean, it was just, it was crazy. Um, you know, we, like I said, we just, we found every possible avenue, but, but, uh, but again, just a little, a little thing like, you know, contacting all the landlords to say, hey, do you mind if we use the parking lot, you know, from 6 to, you know, 8 p.m. and 9 to 5 on weekends? And it was great, but it was, again, it was a lot of work that had to be done to make sure that we, you know, we could do all that. That's Shannon Lockram talking about just one of the innovative solutions her team used to vaccinate their patient population. We'll hear more from Shannon in just a moment, but first, a word from our sponsors. MDVIP's fee-based wellness program provides a better, more personalized primary care experience for patients and physicians alike while providing consistent, stable revenue to your practice. Learn how your group can increase patient satisfaction and loyalty by visiting mdvip.com slash patient loyalty. As a healthcare organization, you routinely check your patient's health, but when was the last time you checked the financial health of your business? Don't let bad billing processes keep you from your hard-earned revenue. CareCloud's free revenue cycle assessment uncovers billing mistakes so you can see how to claim every last dollar. Get your free assessment by visiting carecloud.com assessment. Our guest today is Shannon Lockram. Shannon is Director of Practice Operations at Stanford Medicine Partners. She's also the 2021 MGMA Harwick Innovation Award winner. The Harwick Award is designed to recognize and celebrate the success of an individual who has developed an innovative solution that positively impacts practices, providers, and or patients in their community. Shannon, congratulations, and thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Now, you and I met recently at the uh, MGMA Leaders Conference, got to chat there a little bit and learn a little bit about your background through some previous conversations. But if you could just share a little bit about your background and your journey in healthcare with our audience. Um, sure, thanks. So I, I started out working as an LVN in an outpatient primary and specialty care group. And just, you know, over the probably 20 years I was there, I just, you know, worked my way up from a floor nurse to, you know, a department supervisor to a manager. And then, you know, finally the director of primary care services for several outpatient primary care centers and specialty care practices. So I found my way to Stanford Medicine Partners about seven years ago, and it's been an amazing ride. I'm the director of operation for seven clinical practices in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, and I got my bachelor's in business administration when I was 45 years old, which felt really crazy at the time. So been on an amazing ride ever since. I love hearing that kind of story because we, we are just seeing the uh, workforce evolve uh, in general, but specifically out of the pandemic. But then to hear a story about, you know, continuing to pursue your dreams, you know, no matter what age, you don't let that limit yourself. So that's really cool. So congratulations on getting that, that BA. Thank you. Now, 
you are currently, let me get this right, because I know some things have changed there or they're in the process of changing with some names there, but you're currently Director of Practice Operations at Stanford Medicine Partners. Is that correct? Do I get that right? Correct. Okay. You got it right. Good, good. So give us an idea. First of all, I do want to ask you, just so our audience understands, what is the size and scope of that practice? Do you have that information with you? Is that something you could share with us? So for, for Stanford Medicine Partners, we have about 65 clinics spread out all across the um, Santa, uh, San Francisco Bay Area region and about over 350 so um, providers that also, um, you know, were in those regions. And so it's just the medical foundation for Stanford Healthcare and Stanford Medicine. Okay, thanks for that. Now, what is your day-to-day role there as that uh, Director of Practice Operations? So, um, um, for my day-to-day role, my office is a car. Um, I am actually at a different, a different. No joke. My my office is my trunk. Um, I try to be in a different office every day. I mean, we, I have the formal um, responsibilities of my role. You know, the finances, the you know, provider patient satisfaction, quality and safety. But literally, I just thrive in the day-to-day operations and like the you know, real-time problem solving. Um, I will literally sit in the middle of a registration, you know, desk or in the middle of the call center. I will sit in the middle of a provider in the MA's bullpen. I might just have a lot of real-time conversations with folks. Um, if, if you're not, for me, if I'm not in it, I don't know what's going on. So I hear a lot of conversations. We do a lot of, you know, real-time problem sol- solving. Um, I guess it's more of a constant um, appreciative inquiry process. So I, I'm constantly on the move, never in the same place each day. Mm-hmm. I want you to share with us what that's like then, because so many of us have been working remotely last 18 months or so, or we might be in a hybrid situation where we we work at home a few days, we work in a physical office a few days, but it's that same office. With you saying you're in a different location every day, what is that like? What kind of planning does it take to map out so you don't accidentally show up where you were yesterday? (laughs) Or, you know, so you stay on track and you give those good touches to each one of those uh, practices and clinics. Sure. So I just, I kind of look at my schedule and figure out, you know, where do I have to be for a certain in-person, you know, meeting, you know, that we have to do. Other than that, it's just, um, I, I've got it pretty good down to a, you know, I'm, I'm in Oakland one day a week and Alameda one day a week and, you know, San Pablo one day a week. And I just, it just map it out every day. And I just, I just literally keep moving. Um, I, I have the utmost respect for people who work from home or do the hybrid. Cause I, I don't think it, for me, it's, that would be hard to do. I, mm. I, I need to get up and get out, you know? Um, I like being in where the work is. I like being available. People have questions or want to, you know, like I said, problem solve in real time. Um, sometimes I'll, I'll hear something and I'm like, hey, hey, can we can we talk about that for a second? Or like, why are we, you know, let me make this a little easier for you. So, um, it, you know, it's just it's just being able to know what's going on. I feel like if I'm working remote, I don't have a good sense of what's going on. And for me, it's it's a lot of the staff is frontline staff. It's It's the registration staff and it's the medical assistant staff and it's the providers. And I feel like if they're getting up and coming in every day, I, I need to be getting up and coming in every day to support them. I don't, I don't want to feel like I'm working remote and not, you know, not understanding what it is for them to be kind of in that office, in the, in the space every single day. You know, okay. they've got to deal with PPE and masks and patients. And, and we just, I just feel like I need to be in there with them. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming some of these are spread out. So what's your, uh, you know, roughly what's your shortest commute? And then what's your longest one that you, you, uh, <laughs> endeavor uh, at a given day 
Okay, well, San Francisco Bay Area traffic is probably, you know, one of the worst in, in the nation. Um, my shortest commutes may be 20 minutes. Um, my longest commute is actually, it's, it's, it's the reverse, it's on the way home commute is about an hour and 20, um, you know, from, you know, on, on a bad day. It's, it's amazing when COVID hit and everybody, it was basically, you know, you didn't, you weren't on the roads or out of your home unless you were, uh, you know, an essential worker. My, my normal, you know, hour long commute became like 30 minutes. I literally didn't know what to do. It was, it was crazy insane. But now all of a sudden in the last month or so, we're more, more and more people are reporting back to, you know, their, their offices. So it's, it's, it's in the last couple of weeks or so, it's now back up to the, you know, that hour and 20 minutes home. Okay. Since you're a road warrior, what do you like to do in the car to just keep your sanity and keep yourself occupied? What do you listen to or what do you do there? So I, I used to that. That's a funny question. So I used to like I would use that time like, OK, let's let's talk to people. Let's do wrap up. Let's do check ins because, you know, you're, you're you're a captive audience for an hour and a half. I don't do that anymore. I literally stopped doing that. I needed my my commute home time to just kind of be, you know, I'm going to be like everybody else that's out there on the road. They're singing at the top of their lungs in the car on the way home. You know, I just, I needed that break between the, the work and then home. I don't want to go home. And then, you know, my poor husband, I'm like constantly like, oh my God, da, 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 da. you know, this is everything that happened today. So just basically winding down a little bit, listening to the music, singing along, and you can look out your window and everybody else doing the same thing, but just kind of like a break and just kind of a, a reset. And, you know, so I can get home and enjoy my family time a lot, you know, a lot more in the evenings. That's great. So if you ever run out of things to do, you can always plug in and listen to the MGMA podcast. That'll never, uh, it's always there for you. There we go. <laughs> um, well, one of the reasons we have you on here today is um, an honor uh, that you've recently received. And that's one of the things you and I were talking about in San Diego last week. So you're the recipient of this year's Harwick Innovation Award. Um, you did receive that uh, at the recent um, Leaders Conference in San Diego. I just want to know, because I have some feelings about being face-to-face -face with a lot of people last week. So was it surreal for you to be at a face-to-face -face event again? What was that um, experience like for you? It was like, it was like, crazy, overwhelming, fun, nerve wracking and like fantastic all at the same time. I mean, it felt really good to have some sense of normalcy. I mean, for the most part, all of us have spent, you know, the last, what, going on almost two years, you know, being socially distanced and basically just living in our, you know, home bubble and our, our work bubble, you know, now all of a sudden we're traveling and we're face to face with a bunch of, you know, people we don't know. And it was, it was, it, you know, it took a minute, you know, it was, it was, there was a little awkwardness, like, do you, do you shake a hand? Do you do the elbow bump? You know, are you, you know, you know, we're not handing out business cards and then the whole elevator etiquette, you know, I mean, it was just, it was just, you know, everyone wanted to respect what each other was comfortable with as far as they were interacting, but it was, it, it's our new reality and it, it didn't take away from the, the conference at all. And MGMA did a great job. They were making sure everybody was vaccinated and they, you know, did the daily health checks. And, you know, for the most part, we were spread out in the various um, rooms or courses we took. So it was, it, it, it was weird, but it was great. It was, you know, it was, it was well done and, and it didn't detract from the, the conference, but it was a little different being around that many people at one time. <laughs> For sure. So in, in reviewing your nomination, I see that it focused on your efforts to create and direct and support ways to combat the COVID-19 pandemic. Give us an idea then. You already explained to us at Stanford the size and scope of that large uh, multifaceted practice there. What was going through your mind when, when the pandemic, when we saw this wasn't just the flu. This was something bigger than that. It was something that we really had to 
had to figure some things out about what, what was going through your mind and getting that team ready when you saw it begin to really roll out and, and uh, grow exponentially, unfortunately, among the population. So it's it's really interesting, you know, that Stanford Healthcare is, can be this complex, you know, organizational structure. But you know, we and they pretty quickly developed some guiding principles what they wanted to, you know, what they wanted to see, you know, happen. But as complex as the group was, it's it was one of those things that the, it was just an enterprise-wide effort. Everybody was on the same page, figuring out how to get the work done, you know, and you know, the top of mind priorities like how do we, you know, how do we, you know, provide guidelines for you know, the patients and the staff and the providers, like, you know, how do we do video visits and, and how do we, you know, the other top of minds were how to see patients that were needed to be seen, but, you know, potentially had, you know, COVID symptoms. And, and then, you know, within months of that, I mean, little months, it was like, oh my gosh, now we have to figure out how we're going to vaccinate all of our patients against the, the flu vaccine. So it's just, it, it was kind of a crazy time. And, and, you know, and then, you know, right on the heels of that was COVID vaccine. So, we just basically were, were flipped upside down. I mean, it was just like, you know, and then just trying to figure out how to, in a matter of days, teach providers, you know, how to do video visits and the, and the work that had to go in behind the scenes on that. You know, it's not just, it's great for the providers. You just pull up the schedule and you click on the little green camera, but all the work that had to go in behind that was just, it was just crazy insane. I mean, it was like, we didn't know, I mean, patients would call in. It's like, what do you tell them? I mean, how do you, how do you care for them? I mean, it was, it was a crazy several weeks to that first month, but I mean, everybody had the same kind of top of mind issues. So just everybody pulled together and just, and just worked through it and we, and we got it done. Okay. So fast forwarding then. So that was, I guess, around March, 2020. So in September, 2020, the organization launched a massive flu vaccination <laughs> clinic effort. You directed that effort. Give us an idea. What did that undertaking look like? What was the size and scope of it? So that was that was just crazy insane. So kind of trying to come up with, um, you know, in the six month of pandemic at that point, you know, we needed to figure out how to mass vaccinate as many people as possible as early as possible. And then, you know, during this heightened time of social distancing and, you know, PPE safety measures. So we just we had to get creative. I mean, we think of every avenue for which we could give you know patients flu vaccines. So you know, the first one off the bat was, you know, every single patient who has an in-person appointment, even though the volumes weren't quite as high, every single patient get, you know, gets offered a flu vaccine. And we spread this to our specialty care, you know, offices. So these are offices that typically don't give vaccines or haven't given vaccines in the past. So, you know, we're all of a sudden now training medical assistants who work in specialty offices, how to give, you know, the vaccine and, you know, engaging the specialty offices to do that. But Basically, we looked for every possible avenue. So we did, you know, pop-up clinics. We did drive-throughs. I mean, it, you know, we did in, indoor pop-up clinics and outdoor pop-up clinics. If we had a gazebo, a spare corner in a in a parking lot, um, in a you know a vacant parking lot on the weekends, um, we just we really started to look at every possible you know way we could get you know what they call shots in arms. Um, so it was just crazy, and then it was like this orchestrated effort. It was, you know, it's IT and landlords and billing and providers and, and oversight and, you know, everything that you do with just a normal day-to-day -day visit, kind of like this whole project became like on steroids. It was crazy. We ended up giving about 34,000 flu shots in just the first two months, September and October, you know, and ended up giving like about 50,000 for the entire season. Wow. That is incredible. 
So you, I was listening to the people you were reeling off who are the stakeholders. One of them you said was landlords. What, what was the communication between landlords and you guys? So we, so, you know, we're, we're, we're tenants in, in a lot of our buildings. And so landlords, you have to, you know, we need to, we needed approval to use the parking lots, you know, after hours, you know, and on the weekends. So, because, you know, we have, you know, some of our sites we have dedicated here's, here's, you know, Stanford Medicine Parker's 50, you know, 15 spaces, you know, we, so we needed to work with landlords like, Hey, can we, you know, after hours, can we use the whole parking lot? Can we use them on the weekends? You know, we need to put signs, you know, and signage out. So it was, and, they, and everybody was great. I mean, they were wonderful. It was like, and they were, how can we help, you know, with tents and, you know, chairs and tables and stuff. But it's just, I mean, it was just all the little things you would not have had to think about. I mean, it was like, can, can we get, paid for giving a flu shot in the parking lot. I mean, it was just, it was crazy. Um, you know, we, like I said, we just, we found every possible avenue, but, but, uh, but again, just a little, a little thing like, you know, contacting all the landlords to say, Hey, do you mind if we use the parking lot, you know, from six to, you know, 8 PM and nine to five on weekends. And it was great, but it was, again, it was a lot of work that had to be done to make sure that we, you know, we could do all that. Mm-hmm. As the project was rolling out, you were seeing some success with it. What were some of the biggest challenges um, that you and your team were faced with during that time? So some of the, just some of the challenges were, um, you know, getting the MAs um, up and up and ready to, you know, to be able to give the vaccines to specialists, you know, being able to get the vaccine moved all around the organization with supply chain, getting the patients comfortable with coming in you know, to do that, you know, um, finding the staffing. So a lot of our, you know, staff was in a, you know, we had staff that were ill or caring for ill family members, or they were out on leave. So, you know, finding the staffing and, you know, a lot of this meant overtime, you know, they would come in and, you know, they'd work their eight hour shift and then they'd stay a couple more hours in the evenings and, you know, and do the flu vaccines, or they'd come in on the weekends and do the, you know, the flu vaccine. So it was just, it was just trying to kind of get it all coordinated, um, you know, and just be mindful of, of everybody that was involved and make sure we weren't, you know, by implementing one process, we weren't, you know, killing another one, so to speak. So just, just lots of moving targets, lots of moving parts. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, then, where did you find some wins? I mean, when you were developing these processes, you were faced with the challenges. You said a couple of key words there. You said supply chain, you said staffing. Those are like the two <laughs> biggest, not just in the healthcare world, but globally right now, that's what we're faced with is real challenges in those areas. So how were you finding wins? And, and then once you did find one, how did you, were you able to celebrate it? Were you able to exhale and, and champion, you know, the, the team members there with those wins? So it, you know, that it, that's an interesting question. I, I, that's probably an area I could personally be better at is champ, championing those wins. I, I tend to be the, keep the head down, keep on moving. Um, but we had to, we, we had to really, with, it's like there was stake, key stakeholders and they had wins. So, you know, we, we would meet once a week with, with, you know, all of these, you know, at least a representative from all the department, you know, the departments that were involved. And it was like, someone would come up and say, Hey, by the way, we've got the visit type built. I'm like, or, you know, or we got, we were able to, yeah, the tents are going to be, the tents have been purchased and we're going to be able to, you know, get them popped up on Saturday mornings for you. Like score. I mean, there was a great team effort there, but as far as getting it out a little farther, I, I personally could have been better with that. I know our organization has been really um, great about making sure that they, you know, celebrate the wins and, and acknowledge the work that everybody has done, you know, through the, through the flu vaccines and the COVID vaccines. You know, I personally, you know, that's, that's a, a, 
for me this year, that's something I'd like to work on is making sure we stop and celebrate those little wins. There was just so much movement at such a rapid pace. So, you know, for, for us, it's, it's, it, we need to talk this, take the time and, and celebrate the wins because, you know, everybody had, it wasn't just a matter of coming to work and trying to do all of this work and having your really intense days, but a lot of these people went home and then had really intense, you know, after, you know, work, you know, things going on, you know, taking care of kids and doing their remote schooling and stuff. So, you know, we need to stop and honor and, and, and celebrate those wins and make sure that we're appreciating our staff and the efforts that they do. So, I mean, our, our organization is really good about doing that on a global level. But, but it's probably an area we could have actually done a little better job in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to the innovation side of this because, as you've told us already, Stanford is it's a complex organization here because you've got so many different practices spread out over a region there. And, and I don't know if it's easier to pivot uh, if you're a five-dot practice in one location, but it seems like the complexity would be less there so I know you didn't imagine that you would be talking to landlords and you'd be setting up tents in a parking lot and all these things, but the way you were able to pivot here so quickly, did you even surprise yourself? I mean, what was that like for you to, you know, go through that process and just make those changes on a dime like that? It was, you know what, for me, it's like, I, I feel like I thrive in that environment. Um, one of the drivers for me at work is, is really, my establishing relationships with others in the organization. So, I mean, it was, it was you know, when you finally got the, as teams together, you know, IT and facilities and supply chain and, and billing, and you had, you know, you had a weekly meeting and you have check-ins, it's, it's, it was, ne- there was never a hesitation by anyone about the work that needed to be done. And, and everybody was willing to help out each other. And it was like, when, meaning, you know what, I got that one, or I'll take this one, or I'll take that one, you know, and everybody just, just did their part and they came back and lots of communication throughout the you know, week. And, and, and we just had to be there for each other. It's like one of those, like, listen, I'm really struggling with this, you know, X, Y, or Z. It's like, you know what? I, I got it. Let me try. I, I can take care of that. Or we just really worked together. We had a really good core group of, of people that knew that we, we had to move forward and we had to move, you know, quickly. Um, and, and it was hard because, you know, on the flip side, every single day, there was something changing relative to COVID. It's like the masking, the eyewear, the, you know, the, the, and the questions the, that we, you know, we had to ask the patients, the screening questions, that stuff was changing on a daily basis. So with this particular effort, we were trying to get as much information and as much clarity and as much, you know, you know, ease, ease of teaching what we, what needed to be done. So we didn't have the, have the constant go back. Okay, now we need to pivot and do this. Now we need to pivot and do that. We really tried to stay true to you know, what's our goal is to get these, you know, get these people vaccinated, you know, get, you know, as, as in early as the season in this possible without screwing up IT, without messing up the billing, without doing all that stuff. And this core group just, just came together. And I, I love, I mean, we just, there was not any, any hesitation by anybody to just know this was going to be a lot of work. And everybody just just dug their heels in and we did it. Mm-hmm. When you were meeting, you were talking about having check-ins and other meetings with the stakeholders. Were you or someone else from Stanford um, checking in with either the CDC or a, some kind of a task force of, of healthcare leaders just to kind of develop plans? How did how did that get developed and then and then disseminated among the leaders in your team? So for the flu vaccine effort, that was pretty, I mean, it's, it, it, that was a pretty standard process as far as, I mean, you could go to the CDC and you can go to sites and they will show, they will give you references like how to set up, you know, a pop-up. And we kind of felt like we were pretty good at that. 
when we pivoted to do COVID vaccines, that was a very different creature. And that we, we really relied on. We have, there's, um, you know, departments within the organization that focus just on constantly looking at the CDC guidelines. I mean, I, every day you can get, go on the news and like, okay, now we're doing boosters and now we're doing number threes and now we're doing immunocompromised. Now we're doing kids. So that was a, that the COVID vaccine effort was much more of a moving target. You know, luckily we had had a pretty good, because the flu came, you know, first, so to speak, our project came first, we were able to take some of those best practice and kind of pivot over to do the COVID vaccines, but it was still a, a different creature. I mean, uh, you know, there was still just, you know, the constant moving target of that, but we, we've had, you know, teams and people that were constantly, you know, on the CDC website, you know, constantly checking in between the FDA and the CDC, who's approved what, what does the timing look like, so we could try to get out in front of it, because as soon as something comes up on the news, our phones are going off the hook. Patients, okay, they said, they said, we can get boosters now, where can I go? I mean, so you Constantly trying to stay in front of that moving target, which has just been, it's, it's just been crucial. And we, we try to keep you know, our patients informed as possible. And, and, but it's, you know, you hear something on the news, you know, one day and the next morning by, you know, 7 a.m. it's completely changed. So right. trying to parse through what is, what's the realistic and what's the valid part and, you know, what we need to educate and, you know, report to our patients and, and just trying to stay in front of it on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. So you were working to stay in front of it, but then once you've got things in place, you then want to measure it. So what were some of those KPIs that were key to you that you were measuring and studying to make sure that things were working the way you wanted them to? So for, for the KPIs for this particular group, it's like almost, almost every stakeholder kind of had their own individual, you know, their KPIs, you know, the billing to make sure that, you know, when we went live that we you know went back and looked to make sure that, you know, the visit types and, and all the work that we did flowed through, you know, the billing was work. So every kind of department had their own. A flu vaccine for us has always been a quality metric for our organization. So it's always an area of focus for us. So, you know, we, for our metrics, you know, you try to hit that 90th percentile. So you want about, you know, for us, it was like 92% of the, you know, you know, folks had the vaccine and we were able to stay like above, you know, above that in 93 and 95% for our, you know, the two medical groups respectively. So, you know, that we, we you can kind of watch that on a weekly basis through our, like our quality dashboards. But as long as we were, as long as for us, it was as long as our flu vaccine clinic schedules were full, that's what was for us. And we constantly looked at that. And as soon as we felt like we were booking out more than a week and a half, two weeks, we opened up more as long as we could, you know, keep the staffing. That was us for us. It was just how many we, you know, people we could get and to be able to, we had no idea we would be doing 34,000 in the first, you know, couple of months. That was that, just crazy. That, that is truly remarkable. So yours is just one example of innovation that was truly born out of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, in studying, you know, what's gone on, what's transpired, there've been many across medicine there was, I mean, the remarkable creation of the vaccine in the record time that it was, new ways to, you know, develop patient access, creative staffing, the billing having to change with, you know, the reimbursements, with telehealth. Innovation has played such a key part here. And so I want to get your thoughts on why do you believe innovation is so vital to healthcare? Why is it so important to keep giving people the best care possible I, I i think there's you know there's a couple of, of of different approaches to that one is you know the patients the patient or the patient or the consumer demands are different i mean they have been wanting video visits you know long before they became a thing you know during COVID. i mean just you know before COVID vaccine hit we you know we had begun a small video visit pilot you know in a couple of in a, in one of my primary care offices with a couple of providers and 
it was kind of slow and you'd be really happy if you got one or two a week, you know, and we had an organizational wide goal of 1500 video visits for fiscal year, you know, 20. Um, we did 113,000, <laughs> you know, so met that goal, but it's just, it, it, it was kind of like the, the burning platform they needed to just like, okay, look, look, I mean, we did this in a matter of a couple of weeks, we did these video visits. So then you started looking for other things. Well, how else can we do it? So I know like even some of the um, speakers at the conference started talking about, you know, remote patient monitoring, you know, for patients, you know, and, and we need to look at healthcare as being, you know, something different than just the conventional office setting. So, you know, remote patient monitoring, we have implemented um, AI with, with in a couple of our practices with the diabetic retinal cameras. So now we have AI that is reading the results of these images. I mean, it's crazy. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of crazy insane, but it's like, it's, it's, it's fantastic. You know, you're, you're able to, you know, offer more. Um, it, it, I think, I think COVID-19 is the burning platform for us to like, you know, move forward at probably a little more rapid rate than we were doing. Like I said, we were slowly rolling out video visits and not doing a really good job at it, so to speak. But I think now it's like, I mean, if they, if we can roll out a COVID vaccine in a matter of months, some of this other stuff should probably be a little easier, you know? So I think, I think it's, it's, it's has us looking at different ways to do things for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I totally agree, and that's it, it has proven what we can do when when given that that uh, challenge in front of us uh, that we can innovate and we can roll things out in an amazing way. Um, a final thought, then you were just talking about one of the things you picked up and heard a lot about at the event last week was remote patient monitoring. One of the things I heard in several of the sessions was that term resilience. Um, We've all needed all the resilience possible since the inception of the pandemic. What does resilience mean to you? You know, um, we had a, a, a leadership retreat recently and we were, you know, one of the questions we were asked is if someone took a snapshot to capture the essence of your work during the COVID year, you know, what would they see? And, and for me, it was like, I, I'd want them to see that I had good days and I'd want them to see that I had bad days but I showed up every day. I mean, this has been, it's been a crazy time. I mean, there were days that, you know, people are just exhausted. And I, for me, I count myself very lucky. I have a job that I go to every day and my family's healthy. Um, we have lost friends to COVID and I watch with sheer admiration for people who come to work every single day, you know, to, to do their jobs and to care for others. And then they have to go home and then they're trying to help their young children with how to do their virtual schoolwork and or they're caring for ill family members or they've you know been you know ill themselves it's it's just a lot and and, and i you know for me it's like we got to be there for each other it's just you know especially in, in some of these you know work efforts we're doing i i work with a great group this is a great organization and it's like it's it's you know be okay for asking for help and that was a hard thing for me i just tend to keep my head down to work and finally i had a, a, a project manager on one of my projects that you know I'm here to do, you know, project management. You're kind of not letting me do my job because you're doing everything. So it's like being able to ask for help and letting other people help. You have to do it and it's, it is okay for asking. That was really hard for me because I, I tend to just, I do it all and I keep my head down and I just, you know, so being able to ask for help and knowing it's, it's okay and it's not a bad thing and it's not a reflection of your work ethic. It's just, we've got to be able to help each other and, and be there for each other and, and just, you know, dance the dance some days, you know. <laughs> That's it. That's what you got to do. So Shannon, I want to thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I want to congratulate you again on the Harwick Award. That is amazing work that you guys did there. And, and thanks for sharing these stories with us today. 
Great. Well, thank you, guys. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to our guest, Shannon Lockram. Also, thanks to MDVIP and to CareCloud for sponsoring this week's show. CareCloud's free revenue cycle assessment uncovers billing mistakes so you can see out a claim every last dollar. Get your free assessment by visiting carecloud.com slash assessment. MDVIP's fee-based wellness program provides a better, more personalized primary care experience for patients and physicians alike while providing consistent, stable revenue to your practice. Learn how your group can increase patient satisfaction and loyalty by visiting mdvip.com slash patient loyalty. If you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. If you have topics you'd like us to cover or experts you'd like us to interview, email us at podcasts at mgma.com or you can find me on Twitter at MGMA Daniel. MGMA Insights is presented by Declan McGee, Rob Ketchum, and I'm Daniel Williams. Stay safe and thanks for listening. Hi, this is Declan McGee, one of the producers for the MGMA Insights podcast. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com membership. Thanks.